Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I mean, Al Hassan, uh, Metal Art Media and Cinephobe and 12 other things that probably are way better than what he's about to do with us. I mean, welcome. Hey, Ray. How's it going? Same old gut-wrenching nightmares in you. <laughs> so, all, all is well in the world then, huh? Everything's normal. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that are normal, let's then not talk about the Western Conference because that's way not normal. And this weekend was even less normal than, than ever before. Uh, do you make anything of the fact that all of a sudden, now that it's, now that it's past the All-Star break and the regular season has truly started that you might see more weirdness like the games we saw over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the weirdness comes out of quite frankly just a, a what how else could I put it? This is parody. This is the purest form of parody I think uh we've had uh at least in the Western Conference in quite a while when you say teams 1 through 13 there's not that much separation. I know the standings say this separation. I know, you know, the the uh, the the records say that. But after the trade deadline and after kind of some of these uh, these pickups in uh, buy in the buyout market, it, it's very very compact, and there's not a whole lot of separation between these teams. So you could literally take a combination of eight teams. From the 13 and say this is the playoff picture and and it kind of makes sense obviously bearing in mind that Denver and Memphis are that far up in the standing they're going to definitely be there but when you look throughout you know you can't tell me confidently healthy there's a huge difference between the Clippers at five and you know they you know even the Lakers go all the way down at 12. I mean, if you were a member of Dub Nation out here in the Bay and you're looking, okay, if we can get rolling, nobody's beat us. You know, in the Western Conference, we got Clay, who's been balling. We got Steph. What team would you look at in the Western Conference? And I, if you want to go Phoenix, you can go Phoenix because we know what they just picked up in Kevin Durant. But any other team that you see right now that you think, you know what? I know the Warriors got some guys, but I think that these guys could beat the Warriors this year. Yeah, I, I think the big problem with the Warriors right now is they're running out of time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, especially with with Step Out, they're running out of time. They've been five hundred, kind of win one, lose one here and there, and that's well and good. But 
longer they last in that play-in tournament, the more opportunity you are leaving the door open for something wrong to go, to happen. And I'm not going to say something wrong in terms of another injury or whatever. I'm just saying just something wrong in terms of you lose one, you lose another one, all of a sudden you're out of it, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it can turn, the play-in turns on you very quickly. And, like, you know, beyond Phoenix, man, Memphis, tough. I, I know they're, they're, they play dumb a lot. Uh, I know that, that, that poise and execution isn't there. But you know who else doesn't have poise and execution? The Golden State Warriors. Mm. Right? I mean, outside of Steph, Draymond, Clay, and uh, Kevon Looney, this is a team that plays just as wild and mercurial in terms of decision-making execution as the Memphis Grizzlies do. Because these guys, even the ones who played like Jordan Poole last year and were contributing members to a playoff, to a, me, to a championship team, they're not there yet in terms of being able to be dependable and do the right thing. You know, playoff basketball more often than not, just, are you doing the right thing? And there isn't a whole lot of margin for error there. And so uh, that's the thing that I worry about when I watch the Warriors. I look at this and I say, First of all, they have to overcome not having Steph in the lineup for the time being. Okay, whatever. But then, once they get him back, they still have to have enough games to get into a rhythm where everyone's doing things as right as possible. And I don't know if there's enough time for this young of a roster to get get with that program. Um, so we know we know what Denver is. We have a pretty good idea of what Memphis is, and really everything you know from Phoenix on down is a pie fight. So what do you make of Sacramento then? And I presume they're not going to go for 176 again in the regular season, but they seem like the one team that nobody's willing to sort of tackle analytically or to figure out because A, they're not supposed to be where they are, especially this late in the season. And B, they're terrible defensively and yet it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter because we're in the regular season. And as long as we are in this, you know, you get on a plane, you play somebody, and then you forget about it, you go to the next night. It, it really doesn't matter. Their offense can carry them. But, you know, honestly, when it comes to the playoffs, as I said, there's two things. One of them, obviously, is defense. you got to be able to stop people because there are going to be people who cannot, who can stop you from time to time, and you're going to be able to, have to weather those storms. So that's one thing. But more importantly than that, I would say, is that this team is young. Look at this roster. Outside of Harrison Barnes, maybe, uh, I guess Matthew's over the but he doesn't play much. Uh, most of this rotation are guys who either never been in the playoffs or have very light playoff experience. Like Damante Sabonis has light playoff experience. Let's be real. He, he hasn't played in conference finals. He's not a grizzled vet when it comes to that. And by and large, young team, their first time in the playoffs, that's that's an an awakening because it goes back to what I was talking about with the Warriors. you got to do things right again and again and again and again. And the teams that make mistakes, not the teams that were great offensively, it's other teams teams or or, or terrible offensively, terrible defensively. The teams that made mistakes, the the, uh, sort of errors that happen because you haven't been here before, and you don't know how to execute. Ultimately, those are the teams that fail. 
Memphis last year probably should have lost in the first round. The only thing that saved them was they played another team that was inexperienced and had no idea what they were doing. And so we had Memphis versus Minnesota bashing against each other's heads, one another, and, and just looking sloppy. And then the least sloppy among them made it through. But the reality is the playoffs are incredibly unforgiving to a young team because they just don't know what to do. The old adage is, oh, it's not my first time at the rodeo. For the Kings, it is going to be their first time at the rodeo, and this rodeo is especially rough. Let me put. Let me ask this a different way, because everything you said is obviously incredibly valid. But if you had to pick one team to watch just for fun, who would finish above Sacramento? Oh, I mean, in the league. Yeah, I mean, just just for you know, I I don't have I don't want to know about playoff implications. I just I right. just want to watch forty eight minutes of the hell with it basketball. Where would Sacramento okay. rank? Well, top five. Entertainment product, absolutely. They're they're entertaining and they're fun to watch. Um, I, I, if you ask me who I have above them, certainly the Phoenix Suns when Kevin Durant comes back. I, I mean, that's just something I don't think. Uh, I, we've seen that kind of combination when you talk about, uh, uh, excuse me, um, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant with Chris Paul kind of orchestrating that. It's it's different from what Golden State was with Kevin Durant there. So that's very intriguing to me. Um, I'm, Memphis is fun, man. Memphis has fun games. Though if you're a Memphis fan, I'm sure you're probably bashing your head sometimes because of some of the mistakes they make. But they do it with a certain flourish. Right? It, it is fun to watch. You, you can't deny that. Uh, but yeah, Sacramento's right up there. I think Sacramento's right up there in terms of just pure entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it's been a very interesting year for Clay Thompson. It starts out with Charles Barkley saying what he said in terms of, oh, he's not going to be who he used to be. And then everything that went down with the Suns before Kevin Durant with the Suns. Steph Curry goes out, and now all of a sudden, Klay Thompson, he's starting to return to who we know Klay Thompson to be, at least offensively. 32 last night. He went 42 this past weekend. Are you surprised with what you're seeing from Klay? Are you happy with what you're seeing from Klay? And how much has this added to Klay's legacy? Well, I mean, I think the big thing that... I, first of all, Clay is going to behave in that way because that's the way a professional athlete should behave and should think. He has to think that everybody's wrong and everybody's against him. Right? That's kind of built into being a successful pro athlete is you have to have this kind of, uh, I don't want to call it delusion, obviously he's a great player, but this kind of this dogmatic belief in yourself uh, and take any sort of said about you that's not fully supportive as an attack and as, as some version of, uh, you know, motivation for yourself. But the reality is, I mean, what he's doing is pretty remarkable. You know, these people didn't say these things about Clay absent any, any context, right? This guy went through two very devastating injuries back to back, missed a lot of time, had a lot of rust on him, and he's not a spring chicken. You know, this is a guy who's, it's where it's like, okay, you know, he's been in the league since 2011, right? So he's 12 years into the league. He came out as a 21, he's 32 years old with two really bad injuries on him. And remember, people forget this. Clay in the first, like, seven or eight years of his career didn't miss a game. Yeah. This dude was Iron Man, right? 
So he's got kind of a little bit of a of a on him as well. But you look at what he's done since the turn of uh, the calendar. 46% from the field and 44% from three. And it's hard not to say he's rounded into form. Um, and that's huge for the Warriors. That's huge for them for playoff implications. They need him to be healthy, but they also need him to be effective. And not effective because of his reputation. Because, hey, man, this guy still got it from night to night. They need him to be effective in a production standpoint, on a, on a nightly basis, in a way that they thought Jordan Poole would be. Jordan Poole has been up and down. So now you, you desperately need someone to be that second offensive weapon uh, alongside uh, Steph Curry. And he's been that. But I, you know, like, I see both sides. I see why Clay would feel hurt and use that as motivation. But I also understand people weren't just saying this. Uh, I think Clay's washed uh, out of the blue. They said this about you for a reason. You missed 900 days or whatever it was. Uh, is there, in your memory, a team that was mediocre to poor defensively during a regular season, then all of a sudden became incredibly stout in the playoffs? I mean, I'm obviously referencing the Warriors here who are giving up 118 a game, which is like the fourth worst total in the league. Is there is there a comp in your mind for a team that's poor defensively and then all of a sudden comes the middle of April and then they suddenly get it? Um, so the, the best example, obviously, is the Lakers' second championship with Shaq and Kobe. They were, I want to say, bottom third in the league defensively in the regular season. And then they damn near swept the entire playoffs. So that that's the that's the example everyone gives. Like if you want to talk about the turn, you know, flip the switch team, um, that's them. Again, what one should point out that Shaq started that year, I believe, with a toe injury, and they had all sorts of stuff. But it was a mostly veteran team that they they were carrying. So they at least had demonstrated the year before that they were an elite defensive team, and they turned the switch and did it again. I want to say the Cavs, one of those years when they just got finals and got demolished by the Warriors. But one of those years, they were bad for most of the regular season, and then they picked up steam towards the end, and then the playoffs, they became very stout, to use your word, Ray. Um, but, yeah, the, the the odds are incredibly against the Warriors. And, again, I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable if this was a team full of vets, and they just, you know, for whatever reason, had injuries here, injuries there. Uh, a better question, I think this is one I got to sit down and research and look up is, what are they, 7-23 and 23 on the road? Yeah, I was about to ask you that. But, yeah, they, they're, the it's, a, it's like the fourth worst home road record in the, in the league. I think you can get away with a bad defense and have a deep playoff run. It's so dominant offensively every night, and you're winning games here and there by outscoring teams. You're 7-23 and 23 on the road. That is one that speaks to your, the youth of your roster, guys that don't play well on the road. But also, man, like I just don't know if you can overcome that. I think that's a very telling sign. If you're that, if you're legit an awful team on the road, and we know you're not going to be a, a one, two, or three seat, so you're going to have your fair share of road games in the playoffs. That one's going to be tough to overcome. I don't know. Yeah. We're talking with Amin Al Hassan, who does about twelve different things. And uh, of those twelve things, what's the thing that you would last give up if you were forced to? Uh, 
Last give up. Um, the one that pays the most. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask what that is, just because it's indelicate. But I was I was going to guess cinephobe, but I love cinephobe. If you yeah. ask me, if the question was, what do I enjoy the most? Yeah, essentially, I asked it backwards, but yeah. You you asked it to, to me because then it's not necessarily my enjoyment. It's about you know survival, basically, <laughs> how I make a living. But what I enjoy the most, I do enjoy cinephobe the most. I love it because. Uh, some of these movies I've never seen before, but I've just heard of, and it's funny to kind of experience that. And then some of these movies you saw a long time ago, and you remember loving, and then you watch it, and you're like, wait, what is this? Uh, and then some of them are just as great as the first time you watched it. And I, and I just enjoy that that process. And then I'm fascinated by what people get surprised by, right? Where people say, wait, that movie qualifies as a bad movie? You know, so we did... Uh, We've done, for instance, in the Sylvester Stallone catalog, we've done Rocky, and we've done, uh, we've done Rocky, what was it? Rocky Four, and we did Cobra. People, it blew their mind that Cobra would qualify for this podcast, because every movie we do is 40% or less on the Rotten Tomato score by either the critics or the audience. So people really are mind-blown when they find out that their favorite movie growing up actually is a terrible movie <laughs> i mean it, i guess it depends on what what a terrible movie is it, it's it's all it's all subjective i mean one more for you here quickly we saw dame drop 71 last night donovan mitchell did it earlier this year we've seen some 60 point games 21 times this year a player has scored at least 50 points in a game how do you explain these explosive individual performances do they even move you the same way what are your thoughts yeah, you know, like 70 still obviously is, is pretty breathtaking. Dame last night, you know, I, me and my, all my buddies in our group chat, we were watching and tracking it. And and so that was, it is, look, 70 is still rarefied air. I know it's happened a couple of times this season, and that hasn't happened since the days of Wilt and, and Elgin and those guys. But um, in terms of the scoring overall, 50 doesn't move me. You're right. 50 is like, oh, someone has 50. And, and I kind of have that attitude, and, and we shouldn't, but the reality is, I would say there's two reasons. One is, obviously, ace has gone up for us. Our, we're playing faster than we've been playing since, I want to say, the 80s, but then you add, factor in the three-point line, and obviously there's more opportunity to get more shots that have extra points in them. So that's one thing. But the other thing, I think, we've reached a, a, a turning point in the NBA where we need to adjust backward and help defense out a little. It is so hard to play defense now in the NBA. I hate when people complain that nobody plays defense. Not that they don't they don't want to, although there are some individuals with some teams that don't don't want to. Most of the time it's like, how am I supposed to guard this? I can't touch him. I can't touch him. And if and if he shoots and I land, and I'm too close to where he lands and he falls down, that's a foul too and it's a flagrant foul and they get the ball. There's so many rules that favor the offense so drastically. It is so difficult to play defense. I, I looked this up earlier this year, and I, I have no reason to believe it's, it, it's changed. Of the 25 greatest team offenses in NBA history, 20 of them have happened in the last three seasons. Let me say that again. Of the 25 most efficient offenses in the history of this game, talking points per possession, 20 of them have happened in the last three seasons. Wow. There's something terribly wrong if we are seeing records broken over and over and over again 
And again, I know why we changed the rules in 2004, whatever it was, is because we were watching wrestling. We were watching Greco-Roman wrestling and there was a basketball involved. And that was ugly and that wasn't good for TV. That wasn't a good product. But I think the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction now. Where offense has just too much leeway, too much ease, and we need to do some things to allow the defense to have a chance. One of them, I think, is allow a little bit more physicality, more hand-checking out on the perimeter. And then the other thing I would say is the three-point line, push it back. Either push it higher uh, above the break or get rid of the corner three altogether. But we have to be able to kind of change the dimensions of the court so that we're getting offense from different parts. And it's not just this key-up factory from the corners every time someone tries to help on a, on a star player. One last one, and since you brought it up, this is what sparks it in my mind. How far back would you have to move the three-point line before Damian Lillard notices it? <laughs> half-court. I mean, we saw that at the All-Star game, right? He just pulled up casually from half-court with a jump shot and made it. Yeah, he so did that last be, night, too. There's going to be guys who are going to do it, right? We're going to continue to do it. We're all going to be moved by it. It's like uh, it's like when they, th- they moved the three-point line in in like the mid-'90s. You guys remember that? And yeah. all Charles Oakley shooting threes, right? And, and so, like, you get people who shoot, and then when they moved it back, it's like all those people who started shooting threes, they stopped. Mid-range jumpers because it was just a little too far for them. I think the same thing happens. I think you move it back. Look, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, you know, like these guys are not, you know, buddy heels. They're like, whatever, it's the same. But what happens is those guys that aren't quite that find a different way to be effective offensively. And maybe that brings back more spot-up, you know, 18-footer, 20-footer jump shots because it's not like, oh, just take a step back and it'll get an extra point for it. Like, no, it's actually two or three steps back. And maybe that, that's beyond the range of the vast majority of NBA players. Amin El Hassan, who brings you Cinephobe, a job that pays him really well and about 12 other things that he does. Thank you for your time, Amin. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ray. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.